you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. From 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, please enjoy this podcast edition of Late Night with Seth Meyers. Today you'll hear Seth's interview with Greta Gerwig, writer and director of the new film Lady Bird. Then she takes a few more questions backstage just for this podcast. But first, a closer look. More sexual assault allegations have rocked Congress and the news business as allegations surfaced against some of the biggest names in those industries. Meanwhile, President Trump broke his silence on Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore coming out in support of an accused sexual predator. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. For almost two weeks, Trump has faced repeated questions about his position on Moore, and for two weeks, Trump has done everything he could to avoid answering them. For example, yesterday, he ignored shouted questions from reporters about Moore and announced that for the Thanksgiving holiday, he had plans to get out of D.C. altogether. I just want to wish everybody a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to be working very hard during the recess in Florida. We're going to Florida. Only Trump could get, we're going to be working very hard and we're going to Florida in the same sentence. <laughs> Maybe Trump thinks he's working hard because Twitter went from 140 characters to 280. <laughs> My workload. My workload has doubled. Sometimes I have to type tax cuts and hashtag MAGA in the same tweet. So now for two weeks, since the news about Moore first broke, we've been waiting to find out if Trump could summon at least a shred of decency and disavow a man accused of preying on teenage girls. And today, we found out that the old saying is true, sexual predators of a feather flock together. We don't need a liberal person in there, a Democrat. Is an accused child molester better than a Democrat? Is an accused well, child molester better look, than a Democrat? Well, he denies it. Look, he denies it. I mean, if you look at what what is really going on, and you look at all the things that have happened over the last 48 hours, he totally denies it. He says it didn't happen. And in fairness to Trump, who are you going to believe? Nine women who don't know each other and whose stories have been corroborated by dozens of independent sources? Or a guy who looks like the Marlboro Man's deadbeat dad? <laughs> but one... I gotta run out for cigarettes, but I am cigarettes. 
But one of the most revealing parts came when Trump denounced Moore's Democratic rival, Doug Jones, a lifelong prosecutor who convicted the KKK members responsible for the Birmingham church bombing that killed four little girls as soft on crime. Jones, I've looked at his record. It's terrible on crime. I can tell you for a fact, we do not need somebody that's going to be bad on crime. But I can tell you, you don't need somebody who's soft on crime like Jones. He's soft on crime. You're siding with an accused child molester over a guy who prosecuted the KKK. You're so soft, you look like a tub of melted Play-Doh. <laughs> and Trump, of course, Trump, of course, is not alone. He's not alone in backing Moore, who's been accused of sexual assault by nine women, several of whom were teenagers at the time. Yesterday, White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway urged Alabamans to vote for Moore to help pass GOP tax cuts. And an advisor to a pro-Trump super PAC, Katie Walsh, a former White House official, made a similar argument. Listen as she tries to have it both ways on Moore. The allegations against, you know, Judge Moore are deeply troubling. Um, and, I, and I believe that he should step aside if there's any truth to them at all. But the reality is Kellyanne is right that we need, we need the votes to, to pass tax reform. And so um, where the president is on this, I believe, and Sarah Sanders has been vocal on this, which is it's up to the people of Alabama. Um, and I think, you know, they'll make their decision in a couple weeks here. So their position is literally Roy Moore should step aside, but if he doesn't, you should vote for him. That's going to make their pro-Moore TV ads very awkward. Who is Roy Moore? The New York Times says four more women have accused Roy Moore of misconduct. And the New Yorker reports that Moore was banned from the Gadsden Mall. And more than 20 Republicans have called for Roy Moore to step aside. But if he doesn't, you should vote for him anyway, so we can give corporations a giant tax cut. Roy Moore, he should step aside. But if he doesn't, you know, make him a senator, okay? Paid for by a group of chicken ass <laughs> Meanwhile... Meanwhile, as Trump sides with Roy Moore, the avalanche of sexual assault allegations that have consumed virtually every aspect of society, from politics to entertainment to media, continued this week. For example, yesterday we learned that eight women told The Washington Post that longtime television host Charlie Rose made unwanted sexual advances towards them, including lewd phone calls and walking around naked in their presence. Good Lord. Usually when someone that old is walking around naked, a couple of male nurses lead him right back to his room. <laughs> That's right, Charlie Rose walked around naked. It's the only time anyone's ever said, thank God there are no lights on this set. <laughs> Here's a good rule of thumb. If your face isn't pulling in the babes, your penis isn't gonna make the difference. <laughs> Everybody's penis is 100% less attractive than their face. <laughs> Women don't love the penis. If they love the man, they'll tolerate the penis. The best, the best your penis can ever hope for is, well, all right. <laughs> this whole situation is like a reverse bachelor. Nobody wants to accept this rose. <laughs> in fact, the Post reported that there were striking commonalities in how Rose treated the women around him. Two said that while they were working for Rose at his residences or were traveling with him on business, he emerged from the shower and walked naked in front of them. A woman, then in her 30s, who was at Rose's home in 2010 to discuss a job opportunity, said Rose appeared before her in an untethered bathrobe naked underneath. You know, I'll just say it. It might be time to retire the bathrobe entirely. <laughs> it's a terrible idea for a garment. Here's a giant towel that you tie together with a skinnier towel. 
And you never hear a positive news story involving a bathrobe. It's never a family of four pulled from burning house by man in bathrobe. It is always some creep was creeping it up in a creepy bathrobe. And Rose wasn't the only powerful man in media accused of harassment yesterday. There was also New York Times White House correspondent Glenn Thrush. Yesterday, Vox published a piece about Thrush's history of bad judgment around young women journalists. In that report, the author described how Thrush cornered her at a bar by essentially dismissing a female colleague who was with them. Thrush tossed a $20 bill at her and told her to take a cab and leave us, the grown-ups, alone. I'm sorry, but you don't get to call yourself a grown-up if you dress like you're wearing a reporter Halloween costume. Another similarity in all these stories is the degree to which alleged abusers like Thrush went to silence the women they preyed on and undermined their careers. This culture of bullying and intimidation is toxic and pervasive, and in Thrush's case, he reportedly sought to portray the, whip the women he victimized as aggressors. Thrush frequently told versions of this story with different young women as the subject. He would talk up a night out drinking with a young, attractive woman, usually a journalist. Then he claimed that she came on to him. In his version of these stories, Thrush was the responsible grown-up who made sure nothing happened. Can you imagine having the confidence to say young women came onto you while you were also wearing a fedora? <laughs> and it wasn't just the news business that was rocked by sexual harassment allegations yesterday. BuzzFeed reported last night that Michigan Congressman John Conyers settled a wrongful dismissal complaint in 2015 with a former employee who alleged she was fired because she would not succumb to his sexual advances. But you never heard the story because the former employee was offered a settlement in exchange for her silence that would be paid out of Conyers' taxpayer-funded office budget. His office would rehire the woman as a temporary employee despite her being directed not to come into the office or do any actual work. A temporary employee who shows up but doesn't do any work. So basically, they made her a member of Congress. <laughs> so, as a swirl, of horrifying sexual harassment allegations consumes virtually every aspect of society, President Trump is publicly standing by an accused sexual predator. Nine women have accused Roy Moore of sexual assault, and Trump doesn't seem to care. I guess you could say Trump is, uh, what's the phrase? Soft on crime. This has been A Closer Look. Our guest is a Golden Globe-nominated actress who you know from such films as 20th Century Woman and Frances Ha. She both wrote and directed the film Lady Bird, which is playing in select cities now. Please welcome back to the show, Greta Gerwig, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank I'm you so for happy me. to have you here. Congratulations. The film is wonderful. Thank you. And you wrote it. Mm -hmm. And I heard uh, the, the, once you finished writing it, you knew you wanted to direct it. Yeah, I've always wanted to be a, a writer, director, but I didn't go to film school. So I sort of used every t time I was on a movie set to take notes and it became my film school. And when I had this script, I was like, I think, I think now's the time. If you don't do it now, you'll never get in the pool. I'm so glad you did. But there were moments in your youth, in your early days of acting and being on stage, where you realized uh, directing might be up your alley. Yes, in retrospect, in retrospect, there were signs. <laughs> One of the signs was I was I did a lot of dance when I was a child, and I was in a tap recital, and we were all in bee costumes, and I was about six years old, and there's a video of me looking at a girl who I didn't feel was doing it as well as everybody else, and I just <laughs> shoved her off stage. 
And then I tapped back on. And I was like, sort of nothing to see here. She was just ruining the stage picture. Um, but yeah, there was like, looking back, I was, you know, I was a bossy kid. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have this film, uh, the characters have a love of high school theater. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that that must have been true of you. Oh, I, yeah, musical theater, I loved, I mean, I loved theater, I loved musicals. My love was greater than my talent. Oh, that's always sad. Yes, it, yeah. was, it was. Did you, did you have a formative memory of your high school theater days? Well, it, I mean, I have an early memory of coming to New York City mm -hmm. and I saw, my dad was working here, and I saw 42nd Street with Jerry Orbach. Fantastic. And I saw Cats with Cats. And um, the original I, cats. The, you saw all the cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I saw Gypsy, the musical about Gypsy Rosalie, who's a famous stripper, which was maybe not totally appropriate for me at that moment. But um, there was a stripper who played the trumpet, and it combined my two favorite things: sparkly bras and loud instruments. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, but I, I, mean, I, I just, I just loved it. I loved, I loved rows and rows of dancers and the whole thing. I uh, also, we used to come in and see shows, and I saw Starlight Express, which is another show you've oh, seen. Starlight Express. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody doesn't know it's about trains. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. But everyone, that I feel like is underselling that how they, yeah. how they, uh, like sort of humanize trains. It's people on roller skates. Roller skates. Yeah. Yes. And I wanted to do a production of Starlight Express in my kindergarten, um, <laughs> which seems uh, like there's a lot of bars to entry for that. Yeah. So many. The first was nobody knew what it was or cared. <laughs> um, but the second one was I remember standing in my play, like the pre the kindergarten playground, and it was all gravel. And I was like, oh no, how are we gonna problem solve this? Like, how will they skate on gravel? And this was a problem that was only existing in my head. <laughs> right. Nobody, nobody was paying Yeah, attention. so definitely you were cut out to direct, though. I think yes. that is what you're telling us. Yes. So um, obviously when you direct a film like this, you have to watch it over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, but you watched it uh, screening in Sacramento, where you're from, yes. where the film takes place. Yes. Was that, did that feel like, feel like a completion of something? Yes, it was like, it's like, it's a wonderful life, but it's my life. <laughs> yeah. And it was in front, in front of me. It was, it was my, my whole family was there. My second grade teacher was there. My first two drama teachers in high school, the mayor of Sacramento, my first crush and his dad. <laughs> it was like That's everybody great. I've ever, ever known. <laughs> um, did it, was it satisfying to people? Because there's always that fear of when you're telling, obviously yeah. you're telling your story, but yeah. it takes place in a place that's their yeah. story as well. Was everybody satisfied? Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was incredibly emotional. And also people laughed at things in Sacramento that will never get laughs anywhere else, but they like know what it is. <laughs> it made me, it was, it was, I'll, I don't think I'll ever beat that experience of watching the film. Um, one of the reasons that it makes sense to me, both that you would write it and want to direct it, is it's so personal. And one of the things that was interesting to me is you obviously said it w closer to when you grew up. Yeah. And so uh, no cell phones, which was such a fun thing to watch a high school movie where cell phones is not a plot point. I know. You could <laughs> not know where someone was. Yeah. This <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. And so much more helpful for storytelling that to, you just... Yes. Yeah. yeah for, for any story, it's good to not know where anybody is. <laughs> yeah. It's well, because usually huge plot points are either that person showing up or... Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, no, it was... Um, I, I actually... I like on my 
film sets, and now I can say that on my one film set, but <laughs> I like have, nobody has cell phones anyway. I don't like having cell phones on set because I think it helps the actors to concentrate. But I had a young cast, like, you know, 18 to 22. Yeah. There were a lot of young people and everyone was like, good luck with that. <laughs> like, they'll never give up those phones. But I sold it to them as being about, it's an acting thing. Oh, and they and bought in. Like, yeah, and I was like, this is for your acting. <laughs> and they were like, oh, great. <laughs> Uh, you also, I thought this was really cool. You have people, you had your crew wear name tags. Yes. And not just their name, would, there would be a different question, an, a different yeah. answer every day? Yeah, well, there was a, I had everyone wear name tags because I feel like for actors, especially, if you're coming in for like a day or two days, it's hard to get to know everyone and it made everybody a person. So I had a name tag, everybody had a name tag. And then our, there's a PA who's wonderful, Dana, who came up with the question of the day every day. And it would be a trivia question or sort of like, a conversation started like, what was your go-to karaoke song? Or what would you do if you didn't do this? Or what is a movie that you know you should like, but you don't? What was a movie that you know you should like, but you don't? <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, wow. It's so beautiful, but there, there's something about it that gives me the creeps. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I mean, Audrey Hepburn's glorious, and I sh but it's just true. Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you're creeped out, you're creeped out. That's just, there's no getting I, around I, that. I think it's, that is true. Uh, another thing that strikes me as it ha was very personal was the music choices. Yes. And for those who don't know, when you, there's a song you really want in a movie, you, you have to get permission to use it. Yeah. And you personally reached out to some people via letters. Yes, I wrote some letters. Um, like, for example, there's a, and I do feel like these songs were very, they kind of had to be those songs. Yes, they had to. I had written them into the script. They were very specifically those songs. Um, and so you wrote uh, Alanis Morissette, uh, yes. a nice letter. Uh, and what were some of your selling points to her? Well, so uh, I have been a fan of yours my whole life. The very first cassette tape I ever bought was Jagged Little Pill. I would listen to Perfect over and over in my living room, memorizing the lyrics. I remember bringing that same cassette to a sleepover party where we all played our favorite songs for each other. I played Hand in My Pocket because my mother told me that Perfect might be a little too heavy for a fifth grade slumber party. <laughs> I saw the film Dogma, Dogma because I read that you played God, which seemed totally fitting to me. Yeah, and you think Breakfast at Tiffany's is creepy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> An example of my creepiness. Um, no, but this is really great. Uh, wait, you have to, um, you wrote Dave Matthews. Yes. And um, obviously you've moved on. I like that you moved on from uh, yeah. uh, cassettes to CDs because you knew that you couldn't tell him it was his first cassette. Yeah, um, this is, I, these were my, I say these were my very first CD purchases. <laughs> <laughs> and I made my dad take me to see you and your band perform when you came to Sacramento. Um, so, and I, 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 I said, I said that the song Crash Into Me, which is the song in the movie, was the most romantic song ever <laughs> underlined. <laughs> um, so I, and I was, um, and then I said, uh, thank you so much for considering the request. I wish I could go back in time and tell my 16-year-old self that this moment was coming. She'd never believe me, but truth be told, my 32-year-old self can hardly believe it either. <laughs> I like that the moment you can't believe is that you're writing him a letter. I know. <laughs> But, uh, uh, and uh, Justin Timberlake as well, and they all said yes, was that? Yes, oh, the Justin Timberlake, that has a really awkward beginning. Oh yeah, um, let's, uh, I yeah, gotta hear it. Yeah. Like, you're, I like okay, that you're so embracing your awkwardness. Dear Mr. Timberlake, <laughs> I mean, what can I say? You're Justin Timberlake. <laughs>
You were the soundtrack to my adolescence. Your rise corresponded exactly with my very awkward puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just gets worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I pretty yeah. much wouldn't be an adult without you. That's yeah. the nicest thing you could say to anyone. That's yeah. heartbreaking. Your parents, with when they hear that, they'll be they'll heartbroken. Be like, this was Justin Timberlake doing. <laughs> what were we doing all that time? Uh, well, I'm glad it paid off yes. um, because I, it's hard now to imagine the film without those songs. Yeah. And uh, congratulations on making Thank such you. a beautiful Thank piece you. of film. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, it's Sarah from Late Night. I'm backstage with Greta Gerwig, who is the writer and director of Lady Bird, a fabulous movie that everyone should see. So you talked about the cell phone usage or the lack thereof on set yes. with Seth in the interview. And we talked a little bit on the phone about the books that you gave Timothy right. Chalamet to sort of prepare for his role as yes. Kyle. Yeah, well, one of the, I mean, I gave him a lot of different books. One of the books I gave him was... Um, a book he reads in the movie, which is Howard's Inn's People's History of the United States, because it was a it was a big book for me, but it's also a particular kind of kid in high school might mm -hmm. gravitate towards that book. But I also gave him all these sort of early theoretical writings about the Internet and about the various implications of the Internet. And one of them was called The Internet Does Not Exist. And I had all these notes in it because it was my copy. And he... He, I saw him after I'd given him the book, and he was like, who wh who wrote all these notes? I was like, oh, I did. And he was like, whoa, do you think all this stuff? And I was like, mm, yeah. And then he's, he said, it's so funny, because people will watch this movie, and they'll assume you're Lady Bird, but actually you're Kyle, <laughs> which uh, is not wrong. <laughs> and not necessarily, like, the highest compliment he could pay you either. No, no, no. But I listen... Kyle's politics are in the right place. His heart's in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if he's a bit uh, ridiculous at times. Yeah. So I read a lot about what you said about placing Lady Bird in her senior year. Yeah. And that was really an important year mm -hmm. in terms of the way that you wanted to show her journey through high school. Why was senior year that pivotal for you? Well, I think it's just the moment where everything is coming to an end. And I think there's a certain vividness to worlds that are ending and and also it's incredibly vivid for the parents because they're about to go mm -hmm. and it's that thing of you're investing in it and it's happening but it's also it's it's flying away from you faster than you can hold on to it did you find that you were hearkening back to your own memories of being a senior in high school or during that high school experience as you were filming certain scenes yeah definitely i would i mean i wasn't I didn't, I, I was always a notebook keeper, but I didn't actually look at any of my notebooks until after I was all done writing the script because I didn't, I didn't, I'm, in some ways I'm interested in the, how memory is imperfect mm -hmm. and the things that were so clear to you in some ways might've been quite different in actual life. Mm -hmm. um, but because I wasn't trying to recreate my life, I, I relied more on the feelings to create what it was. Right. But definitely I spent a lot of time thinking about that time and thinking about the people and thinking about the moments and trying not to generalize it and being like, but what was it actually like? You've talked a lot also about when you were on our show last time, you talked about your mom mm. and how this movie at the core is about yeah, yeah. mothers and daughters and how difficult those relationships and wonderful, yeah. but difficult. And you also talked to me a little bit about how your mom would go so far out of her way when you expressed even like a small interest in something. Yeah, yeah, she's she was a good mom. She she was 
she was always very intent that anything that I was interested in, she would go find the person in Sacramento who did it and make sure that I took lessons. So, like, for example, I was I was interested... I, I, I expressed some interest in Hawaiian dance, and she found the one person in Sacramento who had a Hawaiian dance troupe, and then she found a Pol- Polynesian cultural society and someone who could teach me how to... D- d- do the drums and also do the dances and she was just the kind of person who was like really excited for kids to 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 get excited in a way and my my brother has kids now and they live in sacramento and i they think they already know at like eight and ten that um grandma's really exhausting (laughs) and if they tell her they like something it's gonna be full on (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I you. I love the movie. Thanks. Want more Late Night with Seth Myers? Be sure to follow the handle at Late Night Seth on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can also watch full episodes of Late Night at LateNightSeth.com or on the NBC app. And please tell your friends who are fans of Seth Myers to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This mother Lied like a liar. Like a liar. And if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal, or you love to hop in the Wayback Machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes, you should tune in to our podcast, Morbid. Follow Morbid on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.